Revelation chapter 2, we're all familiar with it. Under the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience. How thou canst bear them that are evil, and thou hast tried them that say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Your Father, we thank you for every time you give us away with you. For each time we just have that opportunity to step away from those things that bury us easily. And Lord, interestingly enough, we can even go through a year that almost has so little happening in it, and yet we can still feel buried. You're still under, Lord, a pile of struggle and question, concern. And Lord, I ask that as we look at your word tonight, that you would have something you would take out of it that would be appropriate for every one of us. Every year, it's every year here's something, Lord, that's so wonderful the way your Holy Spirit can do that. That while every hear, everybody hears one sentence, but your Holy Spirit can parse it and divide it and single it out and bring home just a noun or a verb for us. And Lord, we ask that as we look to your word tonight that you would do that. Help us open our heart and receive what you would have. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we all, of course, know the story of the seven churches. We know the beginning one here in Ephesus. It's nothing here uh, in, in this part of it at all has anything new for any one of us. And essentially, though, what is simply going on, it's very, very simple when we just kind of stand back and look at it, is the Ephesian church had simply stopped. It just, it just stopped. And, and when you stop to think of it, this is extremely common. It happens in individual lives. It happens in church lives. It happens in pastoral life, where you can just essentially just stop. And when that happens, the effect is always suffering to some. As a result of it, the, the, the body of Christ is never to stop. It's always to be in motion. It always has something that God is, is wanting to do and perform within it. And, and when things stop, it's, it's easy to have. All of a sudden, you, you can, in life, you can feel a sense of false security or stability. And, and as soon as that settles in, it has a crippling effect spiritually and to the soul and our life, our vision and everything. And, and the reason, you know, I mean, that stopping is so terrible is simply because life never stops. Challenges never stop. All the way through life, it's never over until it's over for everybody. And, uh, and, and sometimes we stop, but the challenge is heaven. And here, when you look here, I mean, the, the tragic here is, is, is Ephesus. You look at here, what an incredible ministry they had built. 
You look here, I mean, here's a very strong base, a great foundation that is there. The machinery is built. It's all well-oiled. It runs. It can just flip the switch, and the whole thing just kind of cranks up. The lights go on. The motor starts running. The gears are turning, and seemingly things are, are just great, and the foundation is so strong, earthquakes can hit it. False teachers can come along. It senses it. False doctrines, storms can hit it. And the waters can rise, and yet at the same time it stands because it was built upon a rock. And that uh, gives great comfort in one sense, great hope to realize that what you have invested, what you have built, it is something there. It, it was built right, and, and there it stands, and you can stand back, and it's a joy in a sense. And through the years, if you've been around long, you know, at all, I mean, when you look at us and our movement and so many of us, we've, we've withstood the manifested sons of God. It came, and the perfection of the saints came and went. The shepherding doctrine, it came and it, it went. Positive confession came and went. Demon possession, Toronto blessing, gold dust, all these and a myriad of other things, they come. They attacked, they stumbled some, but we stood firm, strong. We survived and thrived. And all through all the, you know, the heretical detours and, uh, uh, and destructive distractions that came along and could come along, even David, he was able to say, as he says in Psalm 17, he says, concerning the works of men, by thy word of thy lips, I have kept me from the path of destroyer. He said, there the enemy he laid a trap for me. It was out there ready to get me. But your word, it kept me. Psalm 18, 16, he uh, sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them that hated me and from them that were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also as a, to a large place. He delivered me, and he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands, and he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and have not done wickedly departed from my God. But to look there, and he says, he did, and he did, and he did, and he bore me up, and he took me through, and he carried me through. Things that were way too strong, could have, should have, would have taken me down, but they didn't. And all these times, you know, you, you look and you weathered them and you, you've kept them. And as did the Ephesians. Psalm 18, 32 said, It is God that girdeth me and strengtheneth me and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet, setteth me upon high places. And if you've made it and you've been through and there's a stability and you can look back and realize, God, you, you did. He, 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 you did all of this over and over. And we're so filled with gratitude with it. And, and like Heinz feet, there we find ourselves sitting and, 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 and rejoicing at what it is that he's done. And I say these not for twofold, one to remind us that have been that road, but also for the younger those of you that are younger, the many distractions, the false attractions that await you and your faith, they will be there. We don't know what they'll all be. But as we've kind of been hearing, you know, through the day, it, it certainly sounds like they may be more than we've ever known. There could be greater things, you know, a greater intensity. I doubt what's at all any sense that things are going to lessen or get any better. But it's something there that when we would look, though, we also have got to say one of the reasons that we have made it is very, very largely because Chuck Smith. 
When you would look at him, he was a man. He was like Nehemiah. He had a sword in one hand and had a brick in another. While he went on building and giving the word out, he was also somebody he never minded taking on anything that was out there. And he kept on refining and defining all these heretical things, laying them out. And we looked at it and studied and realized, that's it. I'm with this. And he, and, and he's, and he saved us from all these things. Some of you even came out of some of these, these things that stumbled you. And, and yet, because there, somebody was there to define and fight and carry on the battle. But now he's gone. And now the defining and the fighting has been left to us. In our role and our responsibility, and and now you know, as things goes on, the, the the with all of these things going on in our life now, at this age, for many of us, as I look around here, there's a new battle. There's a new challenge. And it isn't one from the outside. It isn't some heresy out there. It isn't some cult. It isn't some theological issue. Than that, it's another battle, and it's something that's internal. It's within ourselves. And very simply put, we're getting older. Time is it's marching on. We can resist it as strongly as we want. We can fight it. We can deny it. We can do whatever we want. And yet the clock keeps ticking. The pages keep turning. The body begins to weaken more and more. We deny it. It's not happening. The eye dims, the mind slips. An old friend, we see them walking to us, and I, I find myself there starting to go through the alphabet. Al, no, it's not Al. Bob, Bob, Charles, David, David, Dan, you know, Elwood, Elmer, you know, you know they, come on, come on. I hope it's not Zipporah or something there. Or, I haven't got that much time. Help me find a name. I mean, that's why you're laughing. If you're laughing, you. Don't laugh. You're going there. If you like, I've already tried to say it's happening. We're like, you know, these two old guys sitting out rocking chairs out in front of the rest home. One of them looks over to the other and he says, "You know, I know, and I, you and I grew up best friends, right down the street from each other. I know we both fell in love with our childhood sweethearts, got married. I know we owned a hardware store for 50 years together. Here we are now." And he says, "But I'm, I'm sorry, I." I can't think of your name. The guy looks back at him. He says, well, do you have to know right now? <laughs> you know, but, I mean, that's, that's, that's where we're going. That's what's happening there. I think you know, when I look at, at Chuck Smith, I don't think I, I don't know what his IQ was, but I do know it was off the chart. He had a mind like a steel trap, people, memories, places, scriptures. But we travel an awfully lot together, and I, I, I'll never forget one time he looks at me. We're, we're at a conference, and he looked, and he had that look in his eye, you know, that, that look as he, he, not distressed, he wasn't that kind of a person particularly, but almost confused. He says, Don, I can't remember most of their names. And he was serious. You know, and, he, and here, as he's, you know, because he, he was a proud man and dealing, you know, with these things. He, he fought. He fought hard. But it's something you can't stop it. These things, they move. You know, we can fight it all we want. You know, we can go get some just for men if we've got hair. Or we can contemplate plugs, I guess, or whatever else. And those are always, to me, a disaster on the thing. And then when people see us checking out liposuction or... Uh, Facelift. Oh, it's for my wife. If they see it, no, it's just her. You know, no, it's, there's something there. The clock is ticking. Things are happening. Psalm 90:10. 
You know the verse, the days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason, by strength, they be fourscore years. Yet uh, their strength and labor, sorrow, for it is soon to be cut off, and we will fly away. And hopefully there we spent the time, we spent the years, we ran with the horses, we stood when the waters overflowed Jordan, we, time passes, but something refuses there within us even to reach out a hand when we would need somebody to steady us in one way or another within our life. And one of the things to me that I find myself dealing with is wanting to keep the doors open. Truly, honestly, to keep the doors open. I've talked and prayed about this, you know, <laughs> to the last enemy. As he advances up, you know, the sidewalk, as I see him turn towards my house, as I see him approaching the front porch, towards the front door. I don't want to deny it. I don't want to fight it. I don't want to be angry as it steadily moves towards me. I want to be able to look it straight in the eye. I really do. And I want to be able to say, I've been watching you come from afar. I was hoping the Lord would come and take me home before you get too much closer. But it looks, I don't know how much closer you're getting, but you're getting close. But I also want to be able to say, but I've been expecting and preparing for you. Just the Lord put all these other things before me in my life previous and prepared me and got me through them. I, now I, this, this adventure. The other things that you laid before me in, in perilous times there in, in my life, to build my life, to build my marriage, to build my family, to build ministry, all those things that the time, as they walked up the, you know, the front steps, as they came in, and they were beyond me, but there you were to bring me through now. To deal there, as, we, as, as I sense myself more and more, not just the physical weakening, that's one thing. That's one level. But there's another thing, and that is the weakening of usefulness. There, you know, uh, at that time, it's, you know, that of, 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 am I useful? And you find yourself, at least me, you know, like, like Job, when he says in Job 17, 11, he says, my days are past. My purposes, they're broken off. Even the thoughts of my heart. Job is looking there, and he says, the days are past. The purpose for being here, it's, it's, it's broken. The thoughts of my heart, it's all to an end. It's looking me straight in the eye. And he said, hey, Job, just admit it. You're washed up. It's done. Are you going to face it or not? And here, Job, he says, that's, that's where I'm at. I'm at his doorway. Many feel like Job. Spent their life investing in who and what they do and how well they do it. And then when they don't do it so well, their purposes are broken off. Their identity is up for grabs. It feels lost. And one of the things I, that, that I remember very clearly, <laughs> one of the things, but uh, I, a half a lifetime ago, when I was in probably the best shape around then, and uh, feeling quite fit and quite secure and things. And I was, and, but I, I was teaching in Philippians. And you know the verse, Philippians 4.11. He says, not that I speak in regard of need, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am in to be content. I know how to be abased and how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned to be full and to be hungry and to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul could look there and he said, I don't care what you do to me. I can do it all. You can lift me up. You can put me down. You can fill me. You can be empty. Be clothed. I can be naked. 
A lot of people can only do, be, be clothed, and they can only be exalted, and they can only have it. Paul says, that's a shame. That's a shame. You, 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 can't, you don't know what you do, and it would be taken away. Paul says, I, I have learned to be content. In every one of those circumstances that are in our life, he says, I can, I can do all things. And I can remember thinking on that at the time, how much, and I had a picture in my mind that I wrote in my notes that I've kept there. I had this picture of Paul looking at like this orchestra. And as he looked at the orchestra and all the different instruments there within it, he was determined, before I die, I want to play every instrument. Oh, the high, beautiful notes of the flute, maybe the melody of the violin, the power and the beauty of the piano, but I also want to sit right next to the clanging cymbals that just clash in right around me as the lash of the whip may dig into my flesh. Over the beat of the drums is the pounding there and the throbbing of the pain that goes in when the rod strikes. I want to do it all. I want to play every instrument before I go to heaven, and I want to play everyone well. I want to be able to look back and say, Lord, did I sit in that seat? And did I play it? Well, it was easy to say that 35, 40 years ago. But then as time goes on and we look there and realize the orchestra plays on and he has you sit down in more places. And you find there somehow, you know, as you, as you see the clock ticking. Gene was reading through the life of Billy Graham in his last book, but he talked about how he knew how to die, but, but he never really quite learned how to grow old. And here Billy is coming to grips with these things because there there's things that happen. Now, you always thought you were humble. I like to think we're humble, but now with age, there's a new sense of humility. It's a truer sense of it, and there, there's something there of where your pride there, you know, and needing to have somebody's hand to steady you along the way, your self-sufficiency, and learning another sense of help or dependence as it as it, you watch as it creeping things. We, of course, watch Gene's parents. We watch my parents. I watched my brother recently, well, a few years ago now with ALS, much stronger than I ever was, far more capable, and yet watch it cripple him, take him down, and would sit at his side. And here, you know, we watch time. If you don't, if you don't greet it well, it will find you anyway. It will force its way upon you. And one day you'll find yourself saying, like Job also said, the thing that I greatly feared has come upon. Here, this man who had spent his life, the richest of men, his portfolio was, was perfectly diversified. He had this over here and this over here, these flocks there, these, these men over here, these servants over here. It was all spread out. He could take a hit from any angle. But even then, there's this sneaky thing there behind, even somebody who has it all. The thing that I greatly feared, Job, you were afraid you could lose it all? Yes, I greatly feared it, and it's come upon me. And there's something there that if we find ourselves, we'll find ourselves again like the psalmist, to cast me not off in time of old age, forsake me not when my strength faileth. We find ourselves looking at life and the longevity of life, and here's, I see this out here, but I see this part weakening and waning. And I watch others go down in the dependence and, and the failure. 
And having to confront and see those things, there's this suspicion, there's this thing that rings in the hearts of us, all of us. What happens if it all goes? You don't have to be old to have that happen. You can be any age, and there's this sneaky thing. We can do everything we can to shore up our life in every way we possibly in our ministry. But nonetheless, there. But I don't want to fear losing <laughs> limbs, sound, strength, pace of my stride, or my ministry. One of the things I'm actually very grateful for, and I mean this very sincerely, I started losing about 25 years ago. There when I had a stroke. And there with that, you know, fun of the functional aspect of my eye and losing it. And I'd always say early on when I would first come to the Lord that what transformed my life in many ways was Paul in Acts 20 when he said, none of these things move me. I wrote a book on it. It sold well. It was used. None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear to myself, but I may finish my course with joy in the ministry that I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. That was my verse. It was my life's verse, and I, I found myself there when the stroke hit, and the, one of the first things, the Lord says, is this going to move you? Is this going to move you? And, and I found myself, no, it's not. I was kind of using the eye. I liked it. Didn't have any problems with it, I knew, but you wanted it, it's yours. Can't get it back. I can't stop it. But I can resist it. But no, don't resist it. And then, of course, as time, you know, goes on, it was just another loss and another. And then, you know, I ended up having the main artery do, you know, a lung, you know, break. And they thought it was cancer. They went in and did emergency surgery, cut from the middle of my back to the side. Went in and took out the lobe thinking that it was cancer. They had actually misdiagnosed. It wasn't, but it, I'd had chronic uh, uh, bronchitis that ruptured the main artery. And so I was drowning in my own blood. I was spitting it up, ingesting it. So they had to kind of do it to save my life. But uh, uh, there is, is now my breathing capacity. Now I hear a lung goes. And I'm sitting there thinking again, the Lord, is this going to move you? No, I, I had a choice. I had a choice. He brought it. You have a choice. And then some of you, you know the story. Next thing I know, a hip goes, and then another hip goes. And then a couple years old, both knees had those replaced. And then this last year, I had my right shoulder, total sh you know, shoulder replacement. When I get back home next week, I'm back at the orthopedic surgeon again. And what I always do with each one of these, I buy as much time as I can. They give me, you know, shots. They buy me a few months. Give me a little, little time, hang in there, but the clock's ticking. You watch it all. You know, my elbows are gone. There, look at that. I've got, you know, and they've all, they gave me a couple months ago shots in my back, three, there where they put you, you know, lay out, and they've got all these people and x-rays going in there just right where they want to hit in the spot that was going to do something to do anything, it, uh, other than just charge me or Medicare. But anyway, there you go. But you, these things, you watch there. But, but it wasn't just simply only the, the coming to grips with, with what may happen, you know, to you physically. It was also one of the things the Lord taught me through these times. Is not only I had to deal with, is this going to move me? And that, to tell you the truth, was not a hard thing for me ever really at all. But each time, though, there was also something there to, and very real to, to release, in a sense, to him. 
something that seemed to be offered up. One of the things when I was started the Bible college, I came in 71 to Costa Mesa, 75, went up, we got the conference center, I went up and started the Bible college. The first thing I taught was the book of Acts. And I'm going through the book of Acts, and I just noticed, it just hit me, the Lord wouldn't let me free of it, as I'm teaching through it on how the apostles were the ones that moved around. They came in, they were the most mobile, it said, hit me, and it so struck me, I felt like the Lord was saying, this is what I want you to do. Well, I, it wasn't the way Calvary or most churches in history are really planted in our day and age. But I was so impressed by this, and I talked to Gene, we went through it, and we prayed for about a, a year about it. I said, would you be willing to do this? If this is what the Lord has for us, and when she came to agreement, because we've never done anything, made a move without full agreement, having a peace from the Lord on it, and she had that. And there I, so to turn over the Bible College, and then during that time, we'd started Calvary and Lake Arrowhead, and there to turn it over. And then I didn't even know where I was going. I already told the board, the leadership, I'm leaving. Where are you going? I have no idea. Until my work here is done. And I finished this by that time. So we'd set actually a six-month period of time for me to start working with the guy that was taking it over. And then three months, we announced to the congregation. And then I was kind of in and out and watching him do it. And then I think a few weeks before, I, decided, I actually was going to go to San Bernardino. And then there was a, a Maranatha chapel down there, and they heard I was coming, <laughs> thinking about it. So they changed their name to Calvary Chapel. <laughs> so I said, that's fine. The world's a big world. So I, they, somebody said, would I come out and do a Bible study out in Palm Springs area? So I drove out there, uh, and a, a, another church heard that I was coming. It was a Calvary affiliate, but not a Calvary chapel. They changed their name to Calvary Chapel of the Desert. Well, it's a big desert, but all right, you can have the whole desert. I, you know, <laughs> yeah, may you wander in it for the next 40 years. I don't really care. <laughs> but then, then, you know, he showed me Redlands. There was somebody would I come. I ended up selling my home in Lake Arrowhead, and then buying a home down in Redlands before I'd even done a Bible study. I, I did that because I knew I wouldn't have any income uh, when I got down there, and so I, I wouldn't be able to qualify. And so we did this before the move. I borrowed some money in transition while the two escrows. But anyway, I went down there to do a Bible study. And see what I didn't know. The, the, the board in Lake Arrowhead said, hey, well, hey, you planted the church. You've done this. It's cool. We'll help support you. I said, no, you won't. I just knew there was just something the Lord just said, no, you go. I won't start taking care of you till they stop. It was very clear. Trust me. And we went on. And when you got a wife and you got kids and you got all, you know, now you got two house payments for a time. There to go down there and to find ourselves, the watching him take care of us. And then, you know, when you're down there planting churches, sending people out. Raising up leaders. Got, you know, up in Big Bear, Banning, High Desert, a number of Calvary. Where he sent out teams, planted churches while I was there. And during this time, I'm, people are wondering because I told them I'll be leaving. I don't know when. Well, wait, wait, what do you mean? I just, I don't know. This, I just know what I'm called to do. And then Gene struggled a little bit at the time. My God, the kids and the age and school and all these things. She said, I, 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 you know, can we just pray? You know, till, till my mother passes away. Well, her mother lived 40 more years. No, her didn't. But her mother, she was quite ill. She was very, and, and I said, yes, we can. And then she passed away. And she said, well, can we be with my dad a little? He's having a hard time. Yes, we'll do that. And then we ended up, I talked to her, are you ready? And she says, I am. And then I was traveling on a trip somewhere with, with Chuck, and we're talking. I said, Chuck, I'm ready to go again. He said, where? I said, I don't know. You got any ideas? He said, you know, I was just in San Jose. There's a church there. 
they're in trouble. Uh, they've, they're in deep debt. They've had all these splits and all these problems with it. They, it was, they said it was 7.1. It ended up to be $8.2 million in debt. They were down to about a little, little under, about 300 and some odd people. That's dogs, cats, rats, and everything, I'm sure. But anyway, the, uh, and the building was a mess. It had it, it, terrible disrepair. And he said uh, they need $3 million immediately to stay out of court. Their own congregation is suing them because they sold bonds illegally. And, uh, and they're foreclosing on the church. And if they don't, they have to sue to stop the foreclosure or they lose everything. And he says, but if you go, we'll give you the $3 million and you can pay it back when you can. I'll never forget. I looked at him and said, Chuck, what are you doing? We don't do that. Calvary, we plant churches. Chuck, this is a resurrection. There's a lot more new births on record than resurrections. Have you noticed? <laughs> he thought that was quite funny. I didn't think it was as funny as he did. But <laughs> that's good. I'm going to remember that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to remember it too. You know, but here it's, but there I go home. And the Lord says, I want you to go. And here, so we end up getting everything ready, telling, you know, the, the, our leadership and the board and we're, the transition. And here is now, you know, we're off and going and I'd planned. I thought I'd planned well that I wouldn't need any income for three months. You go out there. When I'm leaving, Chuck comes to me. We borrowed $300,000 for Calvary and Redlands for building and property and other things. And then we're kind of doing it as we could go on as the money came in, finishing out. Chuck comes to me. During the time I was there, I was given 110 acres up in Big Bear. It was often remote, not very usable, but it had a future to it. And I, I didn't know what I was to do with this thing. Well, I went to Chuck. I couldn't afford to fix it up or put money into it. We were doing the church. I said, Chuck, would you like this? And we drove up. He looked at us. He said, you don't want this? I said, no, I can't do anything. I don't have any money. He said, what do you want for it? I said, nothing. It's just generous. I can't do anything with it. So he said, okay, they took it. Well, now years later, I'm leaving, and Chuck comes to me, and he says, Don, what do you want to do with that land? I said, what are you talking about? The land you gave me. Are we, do you still have it? And he said, yes. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, you, if you want, you got three options. One is the church is 300,000 in debt here, Redlands. Number two, you've got a huge thing not to crack going up there to San Jose. We'll give you 300,000. And he said, or if you want to wait till later on, when you, when you, if you have a need, we'll do that. I said, you mean I can leave Redlands debt free? He said, yes. I said, God bless you. Deal done. Because God's going to take care of me up there. I'm going to be fine. I'm set for three months. It was three years. During that time, you know, I had to sell my retirement, sell my house, do all, you know, just to kind of make things work and have it go. But it was one of the greatest times in my entire experience as a Christian. In my journey, I, I mean, having the Lord on one hand, you know, being able to, to surrender things to him, to walk away from a Bible school, to walk away from Calvary Lake Arrowhead, to walk away, all of them doing well, money in the bank. Calvary Redlands, then San Jose coming down. Then Chuck asked, for years, he'd asked me if I would come back. Different times to Costa Mesa. It's a long story, you know, with it. But only I, I, had, I, I told him, he knew the story very well. Well, it doesn't fit here, but on how that I would come and help you. When it's time for you to go, and then when you go, I'll go with you. If I can help you in transition. But no, I, 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 the Lord told me, I, I love working with you. I can't work for you. You're 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 crazy leader, you know. We and he knew that. If you, if, but I mean, in a, in a good way, it was it worked very well with it. But so he, but then he then I, he calls. He says, "Don, will you come down?" And I said, "Are you leaving this day?" He says, "Yes, I'm leaving this time." 
said, I said, well, what's your plan? He says, well, John Corson knows. I'd ask you and him, and we'll figure it out. And you're leaving, yes. So we came. You know that story. Then we get down there. The church comes alive, and Chuck's all excited. He had every right to be. He built it. It was his. It didn't bother me. I could see he wanted to go, and so John decided to go down, uh, you know, uh, down to Mexico. And I said, Chuck, it's time for me to go. No, no, you don't. No, no. I actually quit three different times. I said, Chuck, I know I'm to go. I don't know where I'm going yet, but I'm going. I'll be fine. I've always been fine. And so, all right. And I, I'll never forget walking out his door. Salary gone. Healthcare gone. Everything gone. Going now, I'm in my upper 50s. Going to my car and realize I'm going to home and tell my wife, I have no idea again. And somehow or another, it was different this time. The other ones, you're younger, you're stronger, you can recoup, you can, you know, you're, you're, uh, you dive back in. But it, this hit me like it had never hit me before. Now what are you going to do, Ollie? <laughs> Who's those, you know, <laughs> this is the big mess you got us into now. But there as I watched, you know, the Lord. And then ended up, Chuck asked, he said, you know, you and Gene have always been out working with the churches. Would you do that? Kay and I can't travel. Would you help him? So I said, well, we'll do it. For, I was tired of traveling. I said, well, I'll, we'll do it for a year and see what comes up. It was like 18, 19 years ago. I'm still looking for work. My kids, Dad, when are you going to settle down and find a steady job? You're getting old. But when you look there and realize that God looks at us and through our lives, there, there's something he gives. He puts these things out in front of us deliberately. They're part of our, our plan. And I think because this, when ultimately, it all to me personally leads to the road and leads to a place, I think, of everybody coming to a place of being a patriarch. There's an incredible role. Somebody there, a patriarch of the Bible, essentially, it is somebody there that they've basically seen, they've seen and heard and handled and touched and smelled. Basically, they've been everywhere. They've done it all. They've seen it all. They've felt it all. And they know it's all vanity. And now they should see heaven better than ever. It should have turned into a certain amount of wisdom. They've been there through all the times and the seasons and the feasts and the famines and the victories and the defeats and the joys and the sorrows. They've been on the mountaintops of victories and sang the triumphs and they've hid in the caves while some 3,000 chosen men of Israel are there to kill them. They sang with Moses when the waters were parted and the enemy's bodies floated on the shores and they smote the rock. And they've been dealt with in their disobedience. And they know what it is to send the priests out with the ark and march around Jericho and watch the walls come down and then to turn right around and send men to their death at Ai. They've seen it all. They've been there. They looked at Goliath in the face and took him on fearlessly and yet struggled terribly in their own home. They know the sorrow of David when Ahithophel is, would betray him as great counselor. They know the power of Hezekiah as he takes his letter into the temple there and lays it out and then watches God destroy 185,000 only to turn around and to show the wealth to an enemy and to suffer. They watched Habakkuk is there. He wonder, God, why don't you judge? Why don't you do something? And then God says, I am. I'm bringing the enemy down. No, you couldn't use somebody more, worse than we are. Watch me. 
I'm going to, but he said, well, I'm going to stand my watch until he has rebuked me. And then he says, right. Write something so clear that he that runs by can see it. The just shall live by his faith. Something there that he may be getting older and his visage is a little marred, but he, on one hand, he should see better. He should hear better than he ever has. On one hand, though he's weak in one sense, there's still a small voice behind him. He could never hear when the clamor of everything else was going on so loudly around him. His grip that was once so tight on everything now, he's got a soft touch. He knows he's not through. He knows there's more. And like Psalm 71, 17, oh God, thou hast taught me in my youth and hitherto I have declared thy wondrous works. And now when I'm old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that has come. He looks there all right. Others would say it's over, it's done, but God, it isn't. It isn't done at all. It's something now I'm in this place where you can't finish this until with all this you've poured into, all that you've done, it must mean something. I, I hope to minister, you know, for, for years to come, but I don't know. But one thing I have learned, you know, you look at the Old Testament and there's these three major generations. There's the one that's just born, growing up, learning to walk and talk and function, deal with things. And then there's the parents. You know, they're out plowing the fields, building the house, digging the wells, planting the oliveyards and vineyards, going to war, mending the fences. And they're going to all of this, but then when they couldn't, their, their back couldn't handle the rock any longer, couldn't plow the field, couldn't dig the well. They had the most important role of all, the patriarch. The one there whose job it was and as they got old, to bring forth the fruit in old age, 92, 4, 14 says, that now there's something that ought to come out of them. They ought to have greater strength than they've ever had in their life. They ought to have more than ever. I remember Redpath when I was young, and he looked at me, told me, he says, a man of 70 ought to have twice the authority and the power and the conviction and the depth of a man of 35. You ought to. But it's something his strength ought to be better than ever. Unlike the, the wrestler whose, whose muscle weakens, the singer whose voice begins to warble, the athlete who loses his step, the surgeon whose hand begins to shake. But the godly, his eyes are better than ever, sharper than ever. His hearing is better. A still, small voice that nobody else can hear behind it. It's clear and sharp to him. When his younger self would have utterly fallen, now he mounts up with wings as eagles. He walks, he's not faint. He sees and he hears and he touches like he never has before. Last Friday night, uh, while well, I was at uh, Diamond Bar, Rawl had a regional conference. 
Leadership Conference. I was sitting in the back room, and Sharon and Rawl, who I've known, Rawl in 1972-something, he got the Kung Fu studio, and I would go back and forth. And I remember begging me, you need to come and do this. I said, I can't do this stuff. You're the killer, not me. You, you, you rise, eat kill, you know, or whatever you do here. And, and uh, they started, you know, the Kung Fu ministry, and then God, all of a sudden the church comes out of it. But all through now decades, and Sharon, she's looking over at me, and sometimes she had this funny look. I said, what? And she said to me, she says, Don, you've been doing this forever. And I, when it just struck me, I said, really? Is it that bad? And she said, yes, it is. No, she didn't. She says, no, it's just, you know, and we started looking over the decades and seeing those that have come and fell aside. We just, names begin to come out that pained you, that had all sorts of hope and promise that had so much going for them, but one thing tripped them up here and another thing there, another back and forth and and, and you look there and you realize a time. Now, I, I, I'm not sure, you know, what the plan is for all of our lives and mine as, as well. But something there as I look. I, when I was a kid, my grandfathers, they were both wonderful men, but one of them particularly because he was around a lot. They didn't live far. And they would come often for dinner. And we always insisted as kids that he put us to bed. Yeah, his, his father was vice president of Southern Pacific Railroad, and he had grown up working for the railroad, and he was an uh, executive, but then he'd retired. And, but he would come over to our house often. We'd have dinner, but he, we always, he, he wanted him to put us to bed because he'd tell us all these stories. Half of them, I'm sure, made up, you know, coming over, you know, riding wagon trains and Wells Fargo and jumping train, all these different things. The stories that a grandfather can tell that sits there and, you, you know, you just don't tell us another story. Tell us another story. But he was no fool. He couldn't play ball with us anymore. He couldn't run on the street. Oh, everybody in the street knew him because he was, we were close neighbors and everything. They, his name, he lived on Bellwood. Everybody called him Bellwood. But only it was something there, but he knew he, he knew his age. But he was somebody there. Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Something there that as the days go on, wisdom. Something there should be coming in that only comes with time. It only comes with experience. There's no other way to get it. And that's, to me, the real issue that, I, that, to me, the things come down to, I think, for all of us today, the issue of age and being able to surround ourselves with younger, with disciples, those that we can take men. You know, when you look at Israel, on one hand, Moses was bigger than ever. I mean, the, the man literally ruled the course of nature for 40 years. Who's going to ever match that? I mean, water came out of rocks, man out of heaven, quail out of the sky. Enemies were destroyed. They sucked up enemy. I mean, plagues, everything. And yet there, as time went on, and they looked there, and they saw when he went out, there was Aaron, and there was her. And there was Joshua. You go lead them tomorrow, Joshua. Fight with Amalek. You dispatch the forces. Aaron and her and I will be up praying for you. We'll be holding you up, but now I... I can't lead, like, you're going to do it. He had Caleb, he had the 70, he had a younger, maybe in the shades, Othniel, and others around. But to me, the most important and critical thing as we move through the years is, do we have those around us? Do we have, have we, have we found those younger ones? For 30 years, over 30, almost 35 years, I always, every week, I had a discipleship group of young men. 
So well, I always. And out of that came our leaders. Out of that came our elders. Out of that we planted churches. And there was something there that I, it, to me, when, it, when a church looks there, it doesn't matter different how old Moses is sometimes so much, as long as they see younger around him. When they see somebody there, I think a man can last a long time. That you know, There when he sees others that they look and realize the team is there, it's in place. Some form of succession. They don't even know what it is, but they know he's got it in mind. He's aware of, aware of it. Joe's done a very good job at that. He's got a number of young men there that, you know, that are part, you know, some form in his mind of succession. Matter of fact, just before earlier, they were, <laughs> they were all in the back room playing seven-card stud, winner takes the church. Well, I mean, <laughs> interesting succession plan. But it is a progression from, for Philadelphia. It used to be the one guy that doesn't end up in a 55-gallon drum gets the church. But so Philly's a rough town. But, but the point of it is, is that when there's something there that somebody looks and they realize my job isn't done. I don't even have the right to think about anything else. Until I found those around me, I poured my life. I poured my life into this. What are we going to do with it? Who's there? Who have I raised up? Who is somebody there that I spent the time I poured my life in with the expectation that they can, like Paul looked at Timothy, he knew. I mean, Paul went out to ministry, then he took Timothy with him, and then the next stage he throws Timothy into ministry with him, and then after that he steps away and, all right, Timothy, you go take it. Now it's your turn to do it. Chuck was great at that. I mean, I go back, I think, when I was 24 years old, 24 years old, got a tent, we're going to the new building and these things, Chuck would leave on vacation or Israel or something, he'd have me. I'm doing his services, Sunday morning, Sunday night. I think half of it was the fact that Chuck was so tight, I was free, and he'd have to pay anybody else, I think. I kidded him about that, and he didn't deny it. But, the, uh, but something there, I mean, throwing people in, watching, see how they do. One time I said to Chuck, I said, Chuck, how long has it been since you put a 24-year-old guy in the pulpit? He said, you were the last. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> It's something there where you, you, you look, and, and to me, when somebody looks, and in their heart and their life, and they realize, I'm not stopping. Maybe some of you right now, you feel like you've been stopped. COVID stopped you. You're looking there at the church, and you're just thinking, I, look at it, it's, been, it's, it's half. It's a third. We haven't got anything. Well, you know, on one hand, I, don't ask me for my feeling on it. I'm not the guy to go to. I'm honestly not. Because I, I have a said, well, good. So you start over. You do. You go back. What's wrong with that? Well, Lord, okay, then let's start all over. Don't be discouraged about what, you know, who's not there. Lord, what do we do? We'll get them there. Get these guys on my side. Get who we can start. We'll rebuild all over again. Whatever we've got, I've only got one life. You see, you know, in here, I, 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 I've got to pour whatever it is that is left in me. As Paul, you know, Timothy says, I know that my, my, my death, my time is at hand. I'm about to close the books. But there he has somebody there. He says, oh, others didn't hang in there. That is but you. Timothy, you're there. It's yours. And to me, on one hand, we maybe can't stop the, the, some of the physical aspects of aging, but we can certainly reverse the spiritual decline and apathy.
Because here the Lord told Ephesus, you have a brain. All you need is a brain. He said, remember. Do you remember when we started? Do you remember when we started the church at Ephesus? Do you remember what we went through? Do you remember the crisis? Do you remember when baby Paul was here? Do you remember what I went through? Do you remember the attacks? Remember, oh God, help us, save us. Do you remember these things? Do you remember what it was when you stepped into ministry and there was something you were scared to death? Nothing wrong with being scared. Somebody once asked, Don, why? And this is a true story. Don, why? Why do you leave places? How do you do that? Even Chuck, when I left and I wanted to go start the Bible college, he asked me himself, we'd take a walk around the parking lot. He says, Don, I'm just curious. Why do you want to go? And, I mean, here, you know, people, others told me, Don, this is the greatest opportunity in your life of ministry. Being able to Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, this day and age, there's no place in the world like it. I said, I just know I'm called. I don't know. I just don't recall. I've got to do it. And he said, all right. But there, and then, and, but I remember telling somebody, you know, they said, well, how, how can you keep doing this? I said, you know, I don't mind being afraid. I don't, I don't mind it. And uh, I don't mind having that fear for some reason. There's a lot of other things in life that are there and very real, but I don't mind being afraid. I think it's healthy. I find that my nature is I can get very complacent. I can get very satisfied. And there's something about stepping out and going out and God, either you come through. And you know, on one hand, right now, all of us, we're the most arrogant bunch of people in the world when you stop to think. You believe you're going to die and you mock death. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, tomb, where is thy victory? <laughs> you're going to say, oh, go ahead, take me down. I don't care. Live as Christ, die as gain. Ha! We mock death. And yet the Lord says, well, before you take the big leap off into the unknown, why don't we take a few little leaps on the way into the unknown here? Because if you can't do those, why are you so confident in me in the end? But you can't trust me now. And to me, when we look and remember the first steps, we remember our cry to be filled. We remember how desperately we were, Lord, give us a word, give us something. We remember our head being lifted, our eyes being closed, our head tilted as we lifted up our hands and we loved him, begged him, Lord, help me. Remember, you know, he says, come to your first love. I've been married 52 years. I remember well falling in love with Jean. I remember Dell just going, sitting in a greasy spoon by the hour with a cold cup of coffee and just wanting to sit and talk and turn every page of her identity I could. Falling in love with her and in love and in love and wanting to be with her again. And every time I'd leave her, when can I get back? I remember after a number of dates, I took a shot at giving her a kiss. And just as I did, she turned and I got her cheek. <laughs> I said, well... I guess I got to hang in there a little longer, huh? You know, can't remember what she said. She said good night, went in, smile. She knew she had me. She was just reeling. She, she, she knew it. She knew it. And he's, he's, 
after about three or four more dates, I was really patient. We're standing at the back door. She says to me, would you like a kiss? I said, you know, I would like a kiss. She lifts up a Hershey's kiss. <laughs> hands it to me. And she says, good night, and goes in. <laughs> Still waiting for the first kiss. No, that's... <laughs> Still on the line. But tonight, some of you, you're here and you just realize the Holy Spirit is saying to you, don't you stop. Don't you dare stop. I have trusted you. I know you're tired. I know you're weary. I know you're discouraged. And hopefully he's spoken to you on these other things, but as well to look there and say, but. You know, David, he found himself in a heap of trouble there when his own men spake of stoning him. And I said, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. Some of you here, you just need a fresh work of the Holy Spirit. Saying, Lord, if I'm going to go back and you're going to reassign me and I'm going to start finding these men and I'm going to lay hands on them and I'm going to raise them up. And I'm going to begin to look at the future of this. And I'm going to be the wisdom of it. And I'm going to be the patriarch of it. And I'm going to be the one to help guide it. Lord, you need to lead me where I've never been before. But I want to go. I want you to anoint me. I want a fresh vision. I want an understanding of why you're setting me back, sending me back, and what you want me to do. And how to take them aside. I'd be glad if anybody wanted. I'll tell you the materials and the things I use. There's nothing big, nothing major. Timothy, Titus, and a bunch of other things. But the point right now is I want to close. And, but I want to ask if any of you realize I need the Holy Spirit to come upon me afresh. I need him maybe to give me gifts. I've never had wisdom the gift of wisdom, the gift of, just of understanding. I need to open up my, I, need, I, I'm, I, I'm, I don't want to stop. I want to be challenged with a whole new fresh challenge of drawing people together, drawing men together, bringing them aside, raising them up, being able to look with a smile on my face at my people and say, we've got a future and we're going to go for it with all our heart and they can see something in your eyes they realize the spirit of God has done something to him and maybe of you you're just here and you just Lord that's what I'm here for I thought of doing this as a workshop sometime but then this is how it ends up but if that's where you're at and tonight you just realize Lord baptize me afresh fill me afresh anoint me empower I need this. This is for me. I'd like you to stand wherever you are. If that's you, I want to go back with a word. This isn't just stand because others are standing. This is because there is something here that you're taking home with you. That you're actually, okay, Lord, the, I've got marching orders. I'm taking these. I'm serious about this. I'm going home and praying and looking. I'm asking you, where's my Joshua? Where's Caleb? Where are they? Show them to me. If I haven't seen them, 
I, I had a guy call me one time. And he said, Don, I need you to send me a guy. Well, what do you need? What do you need? He told me all he needed, this and that. And I said, wait a minute. How many in your church? He's had 150 or 60. I said, forget this. I'm not sending you anybody. You got 150 people right under your nose. I promise you, I guarantee you they're right there. Don't ever call me again until you find them. Then call when you do that, I'll help you. I'm not going to send you anybody. I was mad. We should see these. We should be looking. Oh, I was nice. I was very loving in my heart. I was, what? I don't know what I was, but I mean, when you look and say, God, your Holy Spirit, afresh upon my life. And now I, uh, well, I was, I don't know. This was, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we praise you for your love and your goodness. And, and Lord, I pray that you would give us some moments of praying together, laying hands on one another, a time here of a little worship before we have communion together. But first of all, just what it is to be for you and to sit and say, now, God, anoint us afresh. We need a word from heaven, a clear word, something there, Lord, as strong as what Habakkuk needed. I'm going to stand my watch, and I'm going to wait until you rebuke me with your answer. Give me marching orders. I want them. I'll take them. I'll do them. But, Lord, I need clarity. That's fair. But, Lord, that you would help us as men, that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us. Lord, that there would be as much desperation today to embrace you and your word, and, Lord, that we would be as afraid to go home and do ministry as we were the day we first stepped in the pulpit. That, Jesus, unless you go home with me, the church is a mess. Unless you go home with me and anoint me and give me words and write them on the tablet of my heart, I'm a disaster. And, Lord, that we realize, well, that's just fine. You look and say, I like you when you're afraid when you're afraid to be without me, when you're afraid for a word without my voice. So, Lord, we ask you to help us. Speak to us.